Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the Uticast. It's episode number 73, and today we finally complete my unplanned trifecta of Taylor and the Cook interviews as we interview mixologist, bartender, uh, lubricationist, or whatever he called himself, Joseph Early, as he tells us about his story traveling through Iceland, Boonville, and making his way here to one of the best bartenders I've ever seen. Plus, we're going to unpack this week's election, we're going to talk about booze, we're going to talk about books that were considered crummy, and uh, I think that's a great place to start, folks. Uticast, we're happy you're here. Again, episode 73, buddy. How you doing? Uh, I'm certainly here. Yeah. I, I can say that for sure. I need to, I need to say this. Uh, as I was driving home to do the show today, yeah, yeah. in the back of my head, I've been thinking to myself for a couple days. I'm like, all right, Monday night is the night to do the show, and Tuesday night is um, I got class on Tuesday night, so a lot of times my Tuesday nights get caught up. I kept thinking to myself all day long, I swear to God, I've been thinking about this, when am I going to have time to come home? And rake the leaves off of the off of the lawn in front because we have that one tree out front of our house. It just right. kills us with leaves. Right, right. And as I pull up to the house, I notice that they are already raked. I'm going to assume that was you. What do you mean? You don't think Parkinson came down to do it? <laughs> I certainly don't think either of our neighbors. It, or... You know, it, it was me. I did rake it. It was really nice out today, and also um, it was a lot of leaves. A lot of leaves come off that tree, like you said. Oh yeah. But that square of front yard is still pretty small. Yes. I think all all told, it took me probably maybe 15 minutes. It took almost nothing to get done. And I mean, it's not the most thorough raking you've ever seen. Like, there's for sure some leaves under the bushes and around. There's no point to be thorough with raking, no. though. No. Raking, raking is, of all the the errands that you can do as an adult, like outdoor work, whatever, uh, raking is the biggest fool's errand. Because I can't tell you how frustrating it is for me when I get out there and I rake the whole lawn and I'm like, and I'm a little bit OCD with stuff. Oh, yeah. You may have noticed. A little bit. So, like, it'll annoy me when I look back in the lawn and I see a couple leaves over there that I missed. And then what'll happen is I'll be done and then one breeze will come through and then all my good work will be sullied. Well, I'm going like, back inside. <laughs> yeah, and we're, and we're just done here. Like, at least with snow, I feel like I'm, like... Fighting against the elements. There's like a romanticness to it. I'm like, that snow's gonna keep coming unless I get out there and do it, man. With the trees, it's like, just I'm gonna wait till all the leaves are gone and then I'll just do it once <laughs> and then it'll be done. Yeah, that seems like the move. And they do just <laughs> blow all over and back around. Like, even when I was raking, they're just blowing back. And then cars would be driving by when I'm getting by the curb and cars coming down our highly residential narrow street oh. at a very, very hot clip. Who knows what they're doing? <laughs> they just love to absolute blast rush. down the street. And people come booming down our booming street. Down our down street is not like wide, it is very no. narrow and residential. A lot of kids on the street. A lot of the South Utica streets around here where we live in are like that. It's like you get to Two cars coming down the street, and someone's got to make that decision who's going to pull over on the right. Yeah, with cars parked on the road, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you doing that. That was one of those small little like things that had been annoying me all day that I was like trying to find a place for. Hey, man. Week. You know, we all live here. What can we say? Uh, I want to apologize to our listeners. I accept it. Oh. oh. Well, to you oh. as well. 
Uh, just for being me, I am sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, no, I want to apologize to our listeners last week. Um, and it's not anything we did on purpose. It's anything I did on purpose. But really, I feel like after the election on Tuesday, on Wednesday and Thursday, there really wasn't much promotion of the podcast on my end. And it was just, I think I got caught up in the swell of people talking about election stuff. It just kind of, it kind of got away from me for a couple days. And it's a shame it's my own fault, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't spend more time doing it. But again, I want to shout out one more time to uh, Assemblyman Brindisi, who was one of the best interviews we've had in a long time. Not only was he cool in a good interview, but it was cool that he took the time to come down to the studio. Yeah. A lot of times these guys, and it's not a knock on them, but a lot of times, you know, when we get these slightly higher profile guests, these dudes who are really, really busy, all we, you know, don't have a yeah. free moment, it's rare for somebody to come down to the house and take the time. And so that was nice of him to take time out of his busy schedule on the eve of election day. Hmm. Come down uh, and visit with us. Well, it was really nice of him, and then you know we had a nice conversation afterwards. And then with the way the election, which we won't we won't get to the election now. We're gonna wait till Mara gets in, and then we will <sighs> recap uh, everything that happened and just get it out for once, and then we can stop talking about it. I foolishly believed that after last week we wouldn't have to talk about it again this week, like an idiot. And now I feel like more than ever we have to talk about it this week. <laughs> A um, couple other things I do want to bring up, though. Uh, just because the new one just premiered this week, if you're feeling down about the election or about the state of our you know, country or politics or whatever, I suggest you watch Planet Earth because that's... <laughs> or if you want to get a good look at the planet and all the wildlife that inhabits it before they destroy it, <laughs> well, take a look too. at Planet Earth. That's too. No, but I got to say, Planet Earth and Cosmos... I talk about those, we talk about those shows a lot, particularly Cosmos, but Planet Earth more recently. Sometimes you need a reminder that the world is bigger than the things that we get caught up in, right? There's much more to this planet and this world and this universe than the things that we think are the most important things in the world. Mm -hmm. And something about that show, those shows, always manages to remind me of that and make me think, okay, maybe I'm being silly and over-exaggerating and dramatic when reality there's so much going on right i don't i don't know I, that's kind of a it's kind of a jill stein perspective i know sorry Jesus. <laughs> no but it's true man i took the personality assessment last week and one of the things it talked about is uh i'm very high with aesthetics and surrounding mm-hmm. like i find nature and creativity and art very fascinating so these have been a big help for me if you're mm-hmm. that kind of person who finds those things relaxing i suggest that if you're not that kind of person, just watch Dave Chappelle on Saturday Night Live, which will make you feel better. That for, was amazing for different reasons. That was I gotta tell you, that was <laughs> that was one of those things where you know we both watched that SNL. I felt like when we were watching that, it felt like you were watching something important. If that makes sense. Once in a while, SNL because of the way the show, how long it's been around, and what it means, and the audience that it represents, the people who watch it, the people who care about it, something about it tends to lend itself to these moments. I remember thinking back after 9-11 uh, was one of the first times they had like a live television show out of New York and uh, and Giuliani was on as he was the host of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember that being a big deal. Like, right. you know, the first time that, you know, quote, not to get too melodramatic, the, the nation finally laughs again, you know what I mean? And I remember thinking there's that big moment where Lorne Michaels had all the, the firemen behind him after 9-11 and he leaned over to Giuliani he goes, are we allowed to be funny? And Giuliani said, why start now? And I thought that was like, yeah, man, it is okay to laugh. It's okay to be, like, it's okay to be okay. And I think that in this scenario, 
Chappelle almost made me feel a little bit like it's it's okay to be okay. Well, the thing you know well, because well because it is, and everybody's acting insane with the melodrama from the mm. presidential election. Like, we're not okay. Like to compare it to nine eleven is nuts. Right. Like it's bad news for this country, but a lot of people are acting hyper melodramatic about it, and it's like, look at this is bad news, and there's challenges ahead if you look at the world a certain type of way. But to sit here and be in mourning and in grieving, I, remind you, it's a I, lot. I am, and I want to make it's a, a point. I am not. Comparing the Trump election to 9-11. Those are very different things. Uh, the point I'm getting at is that SNL, for whatever reason, has an interesting place and way of dealing with things like this. And they have, going all the way back to the 70s. And I thought it was another example of them. Just right time, right place, right guest, right audience. It was very well done, and it made me feel very good. Well, yeah, I think, you know, on all that, you know, yeah, SNL's got a long history, and it's all very lovely and all that stuff. Um, I think when I was watching it specifically, I think that people kind of forgot that Dave Chappelle has a really interesting, honest way of talking mm, about things yeah. that are really hard to talk about, race issues and oh, yeah. race, you know, relations and economic issues and different things like that. And he does a really good job of calling everything out honestly and not really playing one side more than another. Like you can tell which side his side relies on, but he doesn't spare anybody when he's up there. He makes jokes at everybody's expenses and he holds everybody kind of accountable. And I think in the years since he's been gone, people have sort of forgotten about his ability to do that. Like that monologue that he went out and did and some of the things he said is some of the most powerful stuff I've ever seen on live oh, television. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? I would say the the opening segment of that show and his monologue were both important TV moments. Like, really, really important TV moments in the last, like, 10, 15 years. I thought they were really, really good. Um, all right, well, let's let's not go too far into this. Let's let's take a break for just a minute. Mara's going to be here, uh, and I guess, we'll, I guess we'll take a segment to unpack everything about this election. Might as well. Get it sure. out of the way, and then we'll move on from there. We'll be back in just a moment. survived the week since last we saw you um first off i i know i know we're going to talk about election stuff this segment guys we're just going to talk about coverage i know we're going to get out of the way and then next week we won't i promise you we will not talk about political stuff at all even if i have a good story next week i'll push it we won't talk about politics at all okay but before we get into our election coverage i want to ask you mara what's on your mind how have you been otherwise are you okay um i've been (laughs) Consoling with myself a lot. I've been eating a lot of Ben and Jerry's. Yes. Um, a lot of things that have cheese on top of it or cheese in it. Um, so business that, as usual, pretty much? Business, life's going the same so far. I have been... I was pretty sad for the first day, not gonna lie. I was pretty shell-shocked, for sure. All right, well, let's... I guess let's let's start there, then. Um, so let's start with election night. Um I don't know what your election night was like, but I was actually, me and Kevin were actually pretty cooped up in front of the TV pretty early, I feel like, all things considered. I was very curious. It definitely got put on, the television. Yeah, 
I kept up with it, and then I said to myself, part of me wants to fall asleep and then hear it tomorrow. Mm. I don't know why, because I was like, I won't be able to sleep if I hear it, because something's telling me that I'm not going to hear what I want to hear. And yeah. then I woke up the next morning, and I, I stayed up for an hour before I looked. It was yeah. weird, because I, I was like, I don't want to look. I felt like this really weird, just like strong, sad feeling, and then I, I was like, no, no, and I turned it over, and I thought I was... Not awake yet, but I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I feel like, I don't know what time in the night it happened that we sort of came around. And I think I probably came to it a little, me and Kevin at least came to it a little earlier than the other people who yeah. were sort of like still holding on hope at that well, point in I time. I left very early. I wasn't Yeah, there. you did leave. Yeah, you left. That's right. I forgot about that. Uh, you, probably, you were probably better off. I knew before I left. Yeah. I knew before I knew it. I knew it about nine thirty. What was going to happen? Mm-hmm. To be to be completely honest with you, I had a feeling in the weeks leading up to it what was going to happen. Yeah. And you know, I'll say, um, I mean, I said on the show last week that a huge, huge part of Trump's support is you know racist and sexist and xenophobes and all that stuff, and I still firmly, firmly believe that. But that's not why he won the election no. either. You know what I mean? I think that's an important, you know, thing to make, and you can sort of see it coming a little bit. Yeah. I think it's weird because I honestly did not think Trump was going to win, right? I had inklings that Trump would have good showings, right? When I drove down Genesee Street a couple days before the election and saw a big group of people with Trump signs, I said, hmm, that's a little strange. Seems a little bit local for that. Mm. When I realized in hindsight, man, it's crazy how many more Trump signs I saw on the streets than Hillary signs. And part of me thought to myself, well, that's just because liberals don't want to put, like, signs up in their front. Like, I, I don't have a Hillary sign in my front yard. Like, I'm, I'm still supporting her, right? Right. Like, part of me just thought, like, that's just not how Hillary supporters present themselves, right? Like, Trump supporters are bombastic. They put signs everywhere. No, I really do think that a certain, that, like, we kind of overlooked this... You know, I don't think we did. I think, honestly, I think we knew. I think everyone knew the whole time. Yeah. And even liberals, even though you feel so strongly about this, you knew that a good chunk of society didn't. And you saw signs like what you're talking about right now, like mm. literal signs that this was probably the way it was going to pan out. Yeah. But I think all of us were in denial, really. I think the media also didn't really present it to us in any realistic way, which is... Yeah. Well, it's also, it's very easy for our generation specifically to get into an echo chamber. Yeah. So, like, if you think about all the media you consume, even the news that you consume, all the people you follow on Twitter, all the stuff like that, those people are all saying one thing. So it's really easy to get an echo chamber. Like, oh, my God, everybody's saying Hillary's going to win. Hell no, everybody wasn't saying she's going to win. There's a lot of people saying she was going to lose. Mm-hmm. That's just not the... You know, the voices that, you know, left-leaning, quote-unquote, liberal millennials choose to subject themselves to, but those voices are still out there. Well, and everyone was saying, if you don't agree with what I agree with, delete me, or, you know, let's not be friends on Facebook. So, mm-hmm. at that point, too, you're deleting everyone who has that opinion, and mm-hmm. I... I didn't actually delete anybody, but I was hiding it. I was just, I don't want to see, I don't want to see things about it anymore because he was either cruel or not just because someone supported Trump, but just some of the things that they would say. So I, I hit it and I, I'm definitely guilty of just hmm. maybe looking at things that appeal to me. Uh, I'm less surprised than I thought. I, I thought I would still be like legitimately angry today. Uh, but as we said uh, in the first segment, I think after a couple days of it, I feel like it's okay to be okay with it at the moment. It should be. Yeah. A lot of what you're saying, for, for as much as Trump campaigned and said, you know, a lot of horrible things, as much as I firmly believe he's unfit to lead this country, never should have been elected. I also think the whole 
aggressively weepy, the world is ending, this and that, mm. that's overblown, it's hyperbolic, and it's uh, counterproductive to the conversation. I think a lot of that stuff you're seeing is just young people who have never seen their candidate lose before. Mm. Um, I've always been interested in politics. I was interested in politics before I could even vote. I've always followed really closely. Mm. I remember what it was like to live in the country when George Bush was the president and Republicans had control of Congress. I remember that. I remember when Kerry lost. Yeah. And the first thing I voted for, and you know, we've had for for the people of the demographic who are very upset about this, we've had eight really good years under Obama where he's just, you know, cakewalking through everything and always winning and I think a lot of people weren't ready for the fact that, hey, guess what? The guy that you don't like, who you do not think upholds your values, they can't win. Mm. Because there's a lot of people, and it's a big country. See, I don't think that's why people are so upset. I think maybe a huge majority of it definitely is. But I definitely think there's a huge portion of people that are upset and are reacting right now because they're seeing a side of society that they thought wasn't there as strongly as they thought the day before he won. And I think they they had an idea of it, and they started to see it kind of seep out here and there. But I think once that decision was actually made, I think a lot of people sat there and said, oh, wow, there's a huge section of my society that is okay with the things that he's saying. And I think that's why people... Are upset. I have two points to that. Yeah. One, and I think what you're talking to, I had a, a very close friend of mine sent me a text message that night uh, during the election. We had been texting back and forth. And she said, I've never felt more disconnected yeah. from my fellow, like, humans. Yeah, right? Right, right. And I sort of, I guess I sort of understood that concept. Like, I feel disconnected. And at the time, I was going through that, like, like, Fine, let them have their own. Like, if you want to just have the Northeast be a country, I'll just live here, yeah. right? Like that was sort of like where my mentality was right. at the time. But um, you know, it's. I think more than anything else, it's important to know that yes, there is a portion of of this, and it does quantify. Man, there's probably a lot more people who have uh, bigoted hatred, whatever you know, xenophobic, sexist, racist views, whatever. Maybe there is a bigger number of those than I was. Believing, Maybe that's just me being naive, right. though, right? However, I don't necessarily think that everyone who voted for oh, God Trump no. God is... Well, that's... Absolutely not. That's... Go ahead. Uh, well, Do you think? I, I'm going back and forth, because here's the thing. I don't think if you vote for... If you voted for Donald Trump, it does not necessarily make you a racist or a bigot or a sexist or anything else. No However, if you vote for Trump and you aren't one of those things, you should be aware of what that connotation of voting for Trump comes with. Like, yeah. by voting for Trump... You inherently are aware that these things exist in the party that you're supporting, in the in the group of people you're choosing to align yourself with. You're you need to be aware to of that. Ignore it you're you choosing to, to ignore it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that's okay too, but you need to understand that as well. Well, like, because it, people look I feel like a lot of people looked at this election in two ways. I think a lot of people look at Trump in two ways, in the sense of his morality and his character and the way he is in business. A lot of people I know voted for him because of the business, <laughs> I guess businessman that he is. And other people looked at him primarily on who he is as a person and their character. And I've heard from a lot of people that either voted for Trump or did not vote for Trump saw and said that the way that he runs business is more important about everything than who he is as a character. Mm. And... I personally want both, and I don't think you're going to get both from either of the candidates that we had this year. So I no. think people were just kind of like, well, I either want someone who I think is going to run 
you know, who's going to run the country well business-wise. And then other people are like, how can you possibly vote for someone who has a character like that, who's racist, mm. who's a bigot? So I think people are fighting about two totally different things sometimes. There's a lot of... There's a, there's there's multiple issues to this. like, and, and that's the thing that's important. It wasn't just that there were more Trump supporters than we thought. It wasn't just that people... Oh. I think, too, it's important to look at what the Democrats did yeah. and what they did poorly. Absolutely. And yeah. especially in hindsight, those mistakes seem very glaring. Have you, we've spent a lot of time talking about... Yeah, I've got, I've got yeah. a ton to Please, say about go. it. I mean, um... Here's the thing, not everybody who voted for Trump is a racist, but everybody who's a racist did vote for Trump. Mm. We knew that mm. he was going to get those numbers, but yes. the thing that, that nobody's giving credit to, and a lot of people are high horse and around about social justice stuff, which is very valid and important, and I think it's a huge thing that a lot of people who did vote for him had to be like, well, I'm okay with the fact he said this. People voted for him in spite of some of his character flaws, not because of his character flaws, but in spite of his character flaws. What you're seeing, when you look at the states that won him the election, when you look at the Rust Belt states that he won that are traditionally hardcore, dyed-in-the-wool Democratic states, you're talking about Michigan, uh, Wisconsin to a degree, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, which is always on the bubble. What, what I think happened here is there is a huge swath of the electorate who nobody is talking to. Mm -hmm. The people who always vote Democrat, these guys in those states who are longtime union workers who work in factories... Those people have been overlooked, and it is very in vogue to, you know, for a lot of guys, I was talking to a guy, I've read a lot of think pieces that say the same thing, but I was talking to a guy who works in the plant where I work. He's a guy who works union, he makes just enough money to, you know, keep a roof over his family's head, but they're never really going to fully prosper. He can't really send his kids to college. They have some really tight months, and over some beers one day, we were talking, he's like, you know, a lot of people talk to me about how I'm so lucky to have my white male privilege. He's like... I don't see any privilege out here. He's like, nobody is really courting to me. Nobody is pushing. He's like, and he was, you know, he said himself, and this is a guy, he was a dyed-in-the-wool, unapologetic Trump supporter. He's like, you know, I'm not saying that other people don't have it hard or have bigger issues to deal with and aren't more historically, institutionally disenfranchised. Mm. He's like, I get that. He's like, but I'm struggling too. He's like, since the 90s, he's like, you know, I've watched a lot of Democrats ship away jobs and sign in NAFTA that lets a lot of these factories go overseas and a lot of these things, and we just get put here and sort of brushed over and forgotten about, and that's what a lot of people are mad about. What you're seeing, a lot of people are just putting a middle finger up to what they perceive to be the establishment that doesn't care about working people at all. I think these people are misguided. I think they're doing mm. the wrong thing. I don't think Trump is the Molotov cocktail that they want. I think that they will look back and have a lot of uh, morning after regret. I think there's a lot yeah, of things they remorse. think are going to happen. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of buyer's remorse. Yeah. But by that same token, this is a huge swath of the electorate. You go up into these old factory towns in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in Ohio, there's a lot of people who are doing really, really poorly, and nobody's talking to them. Nobody's trying to make things better. And we have to do a lot of things for people in inner cities and urban areas. We have to do people for historic we have to do things for historically disenfranchised minorities. We have to get women treated equally in this country. But that doesn't mean that we can let these guys who are just factory workers, construction workers who live in trailer parks and little rundown suburbs in places that used to be run by giant factories that are now in India and China, we can't just forget those guys and let them die either. Mm. And I think this election woke up a lot of the fact that, you know, I heard a lot of people say I feel less connected to my fellow Americans. I have felt weird all week because I feel more connected. I feel a little bit more like I'm hearing and understanding where more people are mm. coming from. I think a lot of stuff came out of this election in 
the condescending way that liberals, specifically the young liberals, like myself included, I do it all the time. We've done it on this show. Oh, yeah. Talk down to, you know, anybody who's a Republican, anybody who's a conservative. We talk down to them. We call them uneducated rednecks. We call them hicks. We call them flyover states. Yeah. And these people are like, hey, fuck you, buddy. I'm out here, and I yeah. live in this country, too. And that's a lot of what I think we're seeing. I think that's what this whole election was, was a big fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think so. You, yeah. you know what's another thing I've been saying all week? I actually think that, and this, sound, this sounds crazy. I've had to explain myself pretty mm. thoroughly to everybody. I've said this, too. I feel like uh, the Trump presidency was a better opportunity to unite the country than the Clinton presidency would have been. Mm. I think in the yeah. short term, there's going to be a lot of stuff, but I think this Trump presidency is going to force us to talk about a lot of things. It's going to force a lot of people to come together. If it had been Hillary, it would have been four more years of the same divide. The Republican Congress won't let anything she does through. They blame her. She blames Congress. Nothing ever happens. Mm -hmm. At least this seems to be forcing people who wouldn't normally talk to each other to talk to each other, to talk about uncomfortable issues mm -hmm. that wouldn't have been brought to the table otherwise. And hopefully this wakes up a lot of young people to actually pay attention to politics and to get involved in politics as opposed to just tweeting about it and doing hashtag activism every four years. Ugh. So hopefully we can build and grow here. Yeah, it's like, I think, yeah, there's a lot of misguided anger in a lot of places. It's just dropping pens on this. A lot of misguided anger in a lot of places. Like, uh, you know what annoys me is that Trump, and this is, I was listening to NPR yesterday on the way here, so call me a liberal if you want, I guess. Uh, you know, Obama has attempted to get an infrastructure plan, a major infrastructure redevelopment oh, yeah. plan for this country pushed through for a long time now. And it did not work because, I'm going to use my swear word, fuck you, Obama, we're not doing it, right? Oh, that was pretty much the, yeah. yeah, thanks, Obama, for nothing because we won't let you do anything. Right. Yeah. But what's going what's gonna to piss me off more than the fact is that Trump is going to go in and push the same infrastructure plan mm -hmm. and it's going to pass and he's going to look... Real shiny and new. It's like, you son of a bitch. Ain't that a bitch. Isn't it? I know. It's you know what's a funny article I was funny. reading today? They were saying after he went, and everybody saw the pictures on the internet where he went in and met with Obama. I'm reading articles where reports are like the Trump campaign didn't really, un like Trump didn't really understand the scope of the job. He literally went in there. He's like, he didn't realize that when Obama leaves, the whole White House staff leaves and they have to hire it. His team is like, wait, we have to hire yeah. the White House staff? They're like, yeah, buddy. That's going to be the whole presidency. <laughs> Obama literally came out and said, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to meet with him a lot more than presidents normally do to sort of help get him ready. But he can't, I don't think he ever wanted to win. No, no. I don't think he ever wanted to win. That was, he said that. It was hilarious. If you, you see his face in those pictures, he's like, oh, shit. What did go, I get really go on Reddit if you get a chance today, because there's some really good pictures that they didn't post on like the mainstream media of Trump and Obama like just oh goofing around, like sort of laughing with each other. And it's a very surreal photo. It's like, I understand why they didn't choose this as the cover photo. Uh yeah, man, it's strange. It's strange times. Anybody but Hillary would have won. Well, we're gonna get Sanders would have won. We're gonna, Joey B would have won. We're gonna get to Elizabeth that. Elizabeth Warren would have won. We're gonna it's get not just because she's a woman. Girl, because she's a terrible candidate. Can we can we say though that I think if there's any if there's anything that I took away from this on like the social justice warrior quote unquote platform, I do think this kind of reinforces the point that we as a nation are still more sexist than we are racist. We really do treat women with a little bit. Less I, don't know. I don't know. I really how do you? How do you? You're, you're the one who takes. You're the one who have an opinion on this here, but both of these. Uh, yeah. What do you feel like? You're the one here to. Honestly, I can't say one <laughs> trumps the other. Hey oh. Hey oh. <laughs> I really, I really can't. I can't say which one that 
I deal with more. And I and I don't even really think it should be about that. I think it should be about the mm. fact that we shouldn't have an issue with either of them. Right. And it's 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 a joke. Every, you know, everyone says, you know, every, everyone's everyone's too sensitive. Everyone's too sensitive. I, I, I really like you guys both, but can I tell you, I haven't really been out in public that much since the election yeah, yeah. because I've honestly been trying not to, Oh yeah. but the only people that I have been hearing say everyone's being too sensitive are straight white males. Oh, yeah. And it's not that straight white men don't really understand or can't mm. understand what's going on. It's just maybe... Maybe, okay, maybe everyone mm. is being a little too sensitive. But at one, everyone's in shock. Oh, sure, yeah. Two, everyone doesn't really know what to expect next. And a lot of the reason why you don't feel like people, not you, but a lot of the reason why a lot of people feel that everyone's being too sensitive is because regardless if these plans go through that Trump is insisting happen, that affects everyone else, it's it's not affecting you. That's that's why mm. you don't are sensitive about it mm. because they don't apply to you. So regardless of whether he does them yeah. or not, it's not going to apply to you. So for you to really sit there and say, everyone's being too sensitive, everyone's being too whiny, listen, let let the shock wear off. Mm. And if people still feel the same way that they do, maybe, okay, fine, that's fine. But you really can't preach about how sensitive people are being if you have never mm. had to feel the way right. that they do. But you can be sensitive to the yeah. fact that, you know, they're doing it, whatever. I think for... I think more along the lines of what I'm getting at is I there's not that there's not real things that you can get mad at about the Trump presidency, right? There he's certainly there's certainly real race and social and sexual and issues, right? Yeah. And there's really certainly real climate regulation issues that need to get talked about because they that's, really don't oh, believe yeah, in that's the really really big one. Um, but <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like it needs these to are be real concerns too. Yeah, these are real concerns. But yeah. after. I think it's important. I'm thinking this for, primarily from a Democrat perspective, from a Democratic voter's perspective. I feel like if I sit out here as a Democratic voter and say, this election is bullshit, and I'm going to go protest, and I'm going to go rally, and I'm going to wear a safety pin, which we'll get to in a second. Christ, yeah. Aren't I doing a disservice to the things I talked about when I'm like, no, we need to trust the electoral system. Like, yes, I don't agree with this. Yes, I'm annoyed. But I voted, and I and I lost. Mm -hmm. Like, isn't it in my isn't it in the, the the whole process of voting that I'm supposed to accept this now, regardless of the fact I don't like it? I'm sort of signing to buy into that oh, side absolutely. of the game. Right? I think like, I think everyone should be looking at that way right now. Yeah. That this is what happened. Mm -hmm. We do have to deal with it, but there's only so long that you can stand out there with yeah. a sign and protest. You need to actually be doing something. That's... You need to be positive. You need mm -hmm. to be sending positivity positivity to people that aren't sending you positivity back. Mm -hmm. And you just need to trudge through it at mm -hmm. the moment. And then we'll start actually calming down making mm. the decisions that we need to make and then making change from it, but we really can't be just freaking mm. out. Well, that's and that's always my take because I'm, I'm always in every situation, every scenario of life, and Sam, you've known me very well for a long time. You know yes. I'm like this. I do everything I can and I believe as fully as I believe in anything in not letting emotion get right. in the way of effectiveness. Right. Mm. And I understand, you know, I would never come out and tell somebody to not feel the way they feel or to not feel marginalized, disenfranchised, not heard, whatever word you want to throw to it. But you, I like people are upset and you have that upsetness, but I hope that you find some time after you have your time to grieve, do whatever you're going to do to get past it because it's time to work. I think what people are hoping is mm. for acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. I don't think people are hoping for change overnight. I don't think people are hoping mm -hmm. to say, oh, okay, well, listen, Trump is going to do A, B, and C. I think people are waiting for 
someone really, really important, someone like Trump, which I don't really see happening soon, but to sit there and say, hey, listen, um, I, I personally don't have to go through this, but I see you're going through it, and I see that it sucks. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge that, yeah. and if you want help getting through this, I'll help you yeah. with it, and I, I understand it's wrong. I disagree with you, mm-hmm. and we're going to work on that. And that's where I think the encouragement comes from the fact that the majority of the people who voted did vote for Hillary. She won the popular vote. And, you know, we're talking about there really are kind of two different Americas. And people, you know, a lot of people, the people in these quote-unquote flyover states and a lot of these rural American voters who have been watching, you know, their towns and cities dwindle away for the last 20 or 30 years because of the policies put forth by the government and the establishment, one of the biggest things these people have is a lack of exposure to people with issues. Most of these people out here don't know anybody who is a minority or who is something outside of heterosexual or, you know, not even like really works. I mean, they all know women. That's not quite the same. But like a lot of these people aren't exposed to the issues and don't know exactly. and understand. And I think that's one mm. of the biggest things we have. And this is saying something you and me have talked about. I don't know if on the show, but mm. separately is one of the hugest, one of the biggest issues we have with everybody getting on the same page is lack of exposure yeah. from mm. people to people from different walks yeah. of life other than themselves. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that I don't know how you fix that because you can't just say like, hey, all right, yeah. we're gonna it's, it's hard to we're ins- gonna pack up all yeah. five boroughs and move them out to the Midwest. Yeah. That's it's not really it's work. hard to instill, you know, like your values on on externally, mm-hmm. right? And it, I, I'm always confused. This is like a, a a total knock on me as a person. I'm always confused that people just don't see things the way that I see. Oh them. dear God! Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't even. I can't even. That's that's my issue now. And and I've I've in the past my whole life I've gotten yeah. things thrown at me, racist, sexist, whatever they are. And for the first half of my life, I came at it so aggressively. I did. And I came at it so aggressively. I got in so many fights when I was younger. And the older I've gotten, people get so aggravated with me because they'll see things like this happen to me right in front of them. And they get mad that I don't react. And And do you feel better the way you are now or the way you did before? Well, there's two two problems. (laughs) There's two problems with this. One is that if I I do react, um, I either get a sense of someone being stunned that I'm actually reacting or two, I'm now the angry black girl immediately. Yeah. Immediately. (laughs) I've talked to a lot of, a lot of my black friends, especially guys are, they talk about how, and this is something like when I was growing and learning and getting a little bit older and getting to know people from different walks of life, something you don't give much credence to, but they're like, I try so, so hard, hard to never ever come off as angry black man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's something about, oh, geez, I never would have thought of that. But yeah, I can actually you see that. That's Yeah, that's all, all, all I can do now at this point is say in my head, okay, this person hopefully just doesn't get it. That's all I can say. And that's Hopefully what it is a lot it. of times. But, but a lot of times it's not. True. You know what I mean? A lot of times it's not. A lot of the times there's this really... It's hard to pick up on unless you've been through it a lot. This really sharp undertone that people hesitate before they say it for a reason. Mm. And I wish that sometimes people would say it and then say, okay, that sounded really stupid. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Okay, cool. That, that's fine, man. But nine, you know, nine out of ten times it's not. And at this point, all you can really do is just kind of, all right, you know what? I would teach you a lesson right now, but if I try to teach a lesson to every time, to every person that came towards me like that, I... And that's what it is. Like, you've only got so much mental energy and so much time in the day, so it's about... You can't save everybody. You know what I mean? And, you know, I I want to. And the people who are, like, genuinely, like, whoa, I did not see 
how that came off wrong. Can you tell me why that came off wrong? Or, you know, I've never, whatever, and that's fine. That's but amazing. Those that's, people are wonderful. But that, that happens, like, once a year mm-hmm. that I get someone like mm-hmm. that. And that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think people right now just need to be acknowledged. Okay. Um, if you've never been through that, you can't possibly understand. You know, I can't understand anything you've been through. I can't understand anything you've been through. So why would I expect you to know what I've been through? Yeah. You sure you can. They make tons of movies about what white people go through. It's just every movie. What are you talking about? Uh, guys, before we, we get on, we've went, this is some heavy stuff. We went long on this, and yeah. I think I think it's important, though. I'm glad we did. Yeah. It's uh, I'm going to try and I uplift. Would. I've got another half hour. Dude, I've got so <laughs> Just keep cranking. I'm going to try and uplift you guys a little bit. Here are some Ooh. of my favorite election night tweets to share with you. This one from uh, guest of the show, Andy Sullivan, Kevin, your brother, uh, obviously. Uh, switched over to Westworld seems less preposterous. That was, <laughs> um, wow. Shout out to my dude, uh, Chris Mendez, at the Chris Mendez, my man in Brooklyn. You hipsters should have stayed in your own states and been cool and progressive there. New York doesn't need your votes. Great answer. <laughs> Great one. Um, this one, shout out to Aaron underscore Sparrow. England, nothing could be more embarrassing than Brexit. America, watch this. Oh. <laughs> and finally, uh, maybe my favorite one from the whole uh, whole election. Uh, I don't like Meninist tweet, terrible name, uh, but it's just a picture of the Louisiana Purchase, and it says, yo, France, you guys want this back? We don't need it anymore. <laughs> so remember, folks, we, it's okay to be okay. Go ahead and laugh. It's okay to laugh. Okay. Be okay. It's, okay to it's just laugh. time to get to work. And if you're not okay, yeah. just get to work. Yeah. It listen. is definitely time to drink, though. You can have a drink. Well, it's important. Yeah. Put after, that on the tea for you. We, you did. Uh-huh. After two weeks of talking to politicians, we decided, and after this long segment of trying to unpack everything that's happened, I think it's important that we reach out to the men and women of this country who really do a service, the people who really make you feel better. Our bartenders. Uh, this week, we are sitting down with Taylor and the cook, mixologist, bartender. He gave me a really, really long, elaborate title for what he calls himself. It's pretty impressive. Uh, Joe Early is here to talk to us today. Uh, he's the third person from Taylor and the Cook to be on the show, and he completes my unplanned trilogy of owner, waiter, and bartender. So now you have it all. You have the complete package for what it takes to make a restaurant go. Uh, here's Joe Early. We'll be back in just a moment. Oh, part of it, sending you a check. <laughs> Not a big enough one. No, I made it at my house. Oh, well, I salute. <laughs> I appreciate that. This is very nice of you. Yeah, it travels well. Mm. Mm. Oh, man. My dad would be so jealous right now. My dad is a huge Manhattans guy. Growing up, that was like his... For some reason, my family always around the holidays. Seems like Manhattans tend to be the drink of choice. I don't know why. I don't yeah. know where that came from. I never really had that in my family. My family was beer. Beer. Yeah. You were a beer drinker. Oh, right? yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, I gotta say, um, you are now officially, you, Joe Early, who I'm very happy you came over to the house, uh, you are officially now the third person from Taylor and the Cook to be on the show. Now, I did, in, in typical 
in typical fashion for myself. I didn't plan it this way, but it actually has worked out in a really nice way. Yeah. We've had Tim on in the past, and right. Tim has talked a lot about um, you know the the cooking and the business aspect of it. And we've had Vincent on, uh, former Chef Vincent, yeah. and, and Vince was guy. a great guy. What yeah. a great conversation. We really talked a lot about farm-to-table and about just the idea of being a cook and what it goes into, you know, mm. to working your way through the, oh, the yeah. chain. You know, and that was fascinating. But the one aspect of the restaurant industry that even for me as a guy who's worked in lots of restaurants that I feel somewhat alien to is the bartending aspect of it. And I'm, I'm we're happy to have, I'm so happy to have yeah. you here because you are, uh, <laughs> you're one of the bartenders that I look at in the city and I'm like, man you really are doing something at a different level. And I, I think that's impressive. <laughs> I know it is, though. Not a different level. It's it just, does seem like it, though, it's, man. Yeah, it's it's cool. I mm. mean, uh, Tim's given me a, a lot of leeway. And yeah. it's just weird. Like, when I was a kid, I never thought about booze this way. No. You know, I, I know I didn't. I know my friends didn't. <laughs> I mean, it can all come down to gin. People are like, I hate gin. I'm like, no, there's good gin out there. <laughs> you just got to find it. We were young. We were dumb. We messed it up. <laughs> well, listen, after two weeks of having um, guests on the show who are based in politics, and mm-hmm. after this week's election, I think there's no one better to <laughs> console our listeners and get them back to square one uh, than a bartender. And uh, uh, so, Joe, I want to start at the very beginning, though, before we yeah. get too far away. Uh, and I want to say this, and maybe you'll appreciate this. I went on your Facebook page. I did some research because that's what I do. I'm a professional journalist. Um and your, your quote on your Facebook is very funny to me. It says, slightly squirrely, but mostly harmless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a fair, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Because, and I, I can admit this to you now that I've, I've known you for as long as I have. Uh, of all the people, when I first got hired on at Taylor uh, to, to wait tables, I, I'd known Tim. I'd met him before. He'd been on the podcast. I, I knew uh, Jim at the time because he had been, we, we just knew each other yeah. from, from years of being in the industry. I didn't really know you that well. I have to tell you. You were the guy I was the most scared of when I walked in the door. I was like, this guy, he's the one. I'm so terrified of this guy right now. And now, like, knowing you the way I know you, it doesn't, it doesn't seem that way, right? But uh, do, you, do you feel like you get that impression sometimes? Yeah, like, well, I, I put it towards Machiavelli, which Machiavelli said it was better to be feared than loved. Exactly. You know? It's a horrible way to go about it, but, you know, I, I'd like to get my stuff done. I'll be nice to you later, but, you know, we got stuff to do. You know, there's, there's work involved. You know, I, I feel... I feel like a lot of times I'm that guy at, I, I get nerved out if like I'm at, maybe not, you know, every, at all jobs I've ever been at, particularly at restaurants though. Even when I was in New York, if I was not doing something, I'd get concerned. I don't like to get my, like, oh, I, I don't yeah. like to get my chops busted by my bosses. Mm-hmm. I like to be, I, look, I was doing my thing, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like I have to cover my bases. As long as you don't provide an excuse for someone to yell at you, they can't yell at you. So you just keep moving, exactly. just keep hustling and... Cover your own ass, is yeah, what my other yeah. boss used to say. Um, so, Joe, what's, uh, do you have a byline, necessarily? I always ask people this question. Like, what would you call yourself at Taylor? Are you the... Oh, I, I just mess around with that. Uh, <clears throat> like, I think my current one is, I'm a non-certified practicing libationist. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. I think it covers all the bases, you know? <laughs> I haven't mm. done anything too serious. I just mm. serve drinks and... Mm. Try to make it work. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was doing my research on you, uh, I saw three locations that popped up, uh, and I'm going to assume, based on the information I've done, and I might be wrong, that you were born in Boonville. No. Okay. No. All right. So I'm wrong. All right. So correct me. Where were you born? <laughs> uh, a town much like Boonville, to my understanding, which was Caribou, Maine. Which Caribou, is Maine, Canada. Okay. Yes. Nice. Uh, 
my father was in the Air Force. He was stationed out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to keep an eye on the Canadians. Of course. It was a difficult time in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Mm. Yeah. So did you, were you like military brat? Did you move oh, all yeah. around? Military the... brat all the way. Uh, my father spent 20 years in, and uh, let's just go through the spiel. I was born in Maine, lived there like six weeks. Mm-hmm. My parents moved to San Francisco, California. Oh, nice. Yeah, well, they drove there with oh. an infant, a six-year-old, and a dog, which they have great stories about. Oh, you man. Know, if you want to hear parenting nightmares, it's <laughs> drive cross-country in a car with two children. Mm. Uh, but anyway, so we lived there to about 82, moved to, uh, not Iceland, uh, Germany. Mm. Uh from 83 to 85, I got to go to German daycare, you know, an actual kindergarten. Okay. You know, it was pretty crazy. They just let you run around and do stuff. Mm. Uh, Michigan, right on the tip of the thumb, a little joint called Port Austin, mm-hmm. 85 to 87. Then we moved to Iceland, which is always the fun one. Uh, 87 to about 90, my mother's Icelandic. I got to meet relatives I never knew, mm. you know. I mean, this whole how different old, culture. Do you remember how old you were in that in that era? You oh, were, yeah, 7 to 10. So 7 to 10, you're yeah. in Iceland. Man, yeah. That's got to be... Well, in my head, I always consider it the last American childhood. Mm-hmm. I lived on a military post, post on an island that had no kidnappings on a secure installation. My parents mm-hmm. were like, oh, just go outside. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there, was, there was nothing I was going to get into. You know? Every once in a while, my parents got to call, hey, your son's in the hospital. But, you know, that's about it's about it. Common stuff, yeah. boys. <laughs> boys. <laughs> um, were you uh, your only child? Mm. Uh, I got great half brother. His name's uh, his nickname's Denny. His actual mm. name is Stan Kukjason, which I probably just butchered. <laughs> He'll get a hold of me about that. But awesome dude, six years older than me. Uh, he does computer work without a like official school degree. Right. He's into photography now. He's a fourth degree master in Taekwondo. That's all. Uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it's a renaissance man. Just look at him like, <laughs> yeah, I'm his little brother. Yeah, it's what do you do? I I, I mix drinks. <laughs> <laughs> so you're spending your time in Iceland. Would you? What What do you think your prominent memory from that time is? Just like, uh, I feel like it's almost got to be nature to a certain extent. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Like, uh, Iceland is. It's a volcanic island, you know. Yeah. There, there weren't trees. My mm. father and I used to have this joke. If you got lost in an Icelandic forest, what do you do? You stand up. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing around. Uh, but I did have some really cool memories. Uh, I have to attribute them to my grandfather. Uh, I got to have tea with the president of Iceland once. Really? Yeah, it was a fourth grade trip. <laughs> And the thing is, when you're in fourth grade, you're like, I'm having tea with the president of the country. Whatever. You know, we had tea with her. Then I find out later, you know, decade later when I'm older, my dad's like, yeah, you were the only fourth grade class that went. It's pretty amazing. You do realize you had tea with the president of a country. I'm like, yeah, and? <laughs> That's like a weird thing that happens. You, you only gain sentience in that as you get older. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. I went, I went to a perfect game when I was a kid. I went, to, I went to see David Wells pitch a perfect game at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. It was the first baseball game I ever saw, but I don't, I don't have yeah. cognitive understanding of it because yeah. I was like, "Why is this stranger hugging me? I don't understand yeah. what happened." What's you so great? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they won. I guess. Hey, is this how all wins are like? You know, uh, to more baseball. Games. <laughs> yeah. I've gone to less baseball games actually yeah. somehow. Um, so, what brought you uh, to New York from Iceland? Is this after? Okay. Yeah. So after Iceland, my father got stationed at Griffiths Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. Opened in the '90s. Uh, he bought a house. In Boonville, mm. minutes north of here, and as I like to say, he didn't buy a house in Boonville. He bought a house outside of Boonville. So right. he had like the eight eight mile road, five houses, and four of them related. Okay. <laughs> oh, so you so you probably didn't. It was probably 
like minimal people around. Girls. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We we had the country life. I mean, it was cool. Yeah. Like as a teenager, you want to pull your hair out because sure. there's nothing going on. But as an adult, they go, oh, "Man, it's so beautiful. There's stars and mm. there's no one around." When someone pulls on the road, you're like, "Are they coming here?" Yeah. Where else would they go? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, it's crazy little mm. uh, suburban childhood. Rural childhood, I guess. Hmm. And you were up at Adirondack for school? Yeah, went to Adirondack. Uh, one of my fun stories, and man, I hope I get the name right. So I moved there in sixth grade. Whole yeah. time, been moving around my entire life. Oh, yeah, Two or yeah. three years, moved. Hmm. And they had to break up our sixth grade class. You know, whatever, yeah. new teacher. And I remember talking to this lady. I want to say it was Melanie Yeager, I'm not sure, but she was like, oh my God. You know, me and so and so, I hope we don't get split up. I'm like, why? She's like, well, we've been in the same class since kindergarten. I'm like, You've known somebody <laughs> since kindergarten? Like, really? Like, this is in my head. I've moved around the world. I, I, I've known my parents since I was in kindergarten, you know? Do you think, and I'm, and I'm, I'm always spitballing, but I'm kind of curious, do you feel like that growing up this way uh, has had an effect on, like, your your communication skills that people have? Oh, yeah, it's not just me. I've met other military brats. And yeah, that, okay. You know, you meet people and you understand them, but like, mm-hmm. this whole weird little, like, connection family thing, you're like, <laughs> what do you mean you've known this person like, <laughs> you have a network of people yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> well, that's the thing about Boonville like well my family's been here four generations really <laughs> <laughs> I, it's funny when I don't think I know that many people right in general I, I, I've been gone for a long time and I come back and I know some people I know yeah. but when I come to Utica or I go out in Utica with people who aren't from here they're like oh you gotta stop talking to everybody I'm like what are you talking about yeah. I'm like I don't wanna, <laughs> yeah, just you don't notice everyone. it yeah. but like I, when you you just spend a lot of time in the same yeah. location you build casual relationships absolutely you know yeah. um, do you feel like that's changed since since you've been around here you've been pretty much around here since the time you've been yeah uh, did a little stint in the army but came back yeah oh that's right I heard a lot of people uh, congratulating you on Veterans Day I had no idea <laughs> is that something you feel comfortable talking about or uh, like I mean we can talk about it uh, I joined the service when I was 18 I didn't know anything better to do mm. was that it, just your you didn't have like some drive to do it it was just like I don't I wanted to jump out of airplanes that was fun yeah that like makes the, sense you know, yeah. GI <laughs> that's my grandma that did yeah. Thing, <laughs> yeah. you know? uh, but I kind of the, the weird thing happened which is my father was in the Air Force which is totally laid back Right. Chill. I joined the Army and I went to Special Forces, which yeah. was a bunch of alpha males swinging right. things around. And oh, I was yeah. like, oh, this may not be for me. <laughs> 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 it, it didn't work out. Mm. In the nutshell, it didn't work out. But, but because of it, you know, that's how I work mm. now. You know, I've got a lot of ideas. i got a lot of things, you know. Mm. My drive for being better mm. comes from that. And it was, I grew up hearing a lot of stories. My grandfather was a paratrooper and I grew up hearing a lot of stories from him and as I got into my mid-twenties and I guess now my early thirties not so much but in my early twenties and mid-twenties I felt like a little bit of guilt for not like serving my country to a certain extent but as I get older my my opinions have changed on it but I, I remember feeling like growing up like should I have like my grandfather did mm-hmm. then I looked like my dad joined the National Guard but I think he did it just to go party on the weekends. Like, I don't... Yeah, do you know what well, I mean? Like, I think the I think priorities changed over the time as well, do. too. Well, there's a certain work ethic that comes with being in the military, which is, mm. if you mess something up, there's no, like, well, I meant to do this. Like, no, no, you did it wrong. Yeah. Do it over. <laughs> which is fine. And But uh, as regards to, like, going through, like, does everyone have to do it? Mm. No. But also keep in mind, not every job in the Army is shooting somebody. Right. Sometimes right. you got to file paperwork. You know? Yeah. Sometimes army you got to cook. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know? And a lot of them, they're hardcore dudes, mm. but, you know, 
It's a service. Now we've got we've gotten pretty far out here. We've gotten all the way through uh, through high school and college, and we've yet to actually talk about bartending. When <laughs> no, and that's and that's and I, no, I kind of expected no. that, but I'm <laughs> I'm curious at when like bartending first kind of cropped up as a thing in your life. All comes down to Chris Talgo and the Nail Creek Pub. Really? Oh yeah. Really interesting. Uh, hmm. I used to live up the street. I live above Nail Creek now, which is still amazing to me. But I used to live up the street. I used to come down, and I used to drink at Nail Creek. I remember yeah. the first time I showed up to Nail Creek, actually, let me back up. I remember when Talgo was opening up Nail Creek. Yeah. Like, I would walk down the street, mm. he'd be building in. I'm like, oh, that's cool, what are you doing? And then he opened, I remember the first time, I swear to God, first time I came in, what do you have? I love a little bad blue. <laughs> we don't have that. What do you have? Craft beer. I'm like, boom. And I, yeah. I've kind of known about craft beer. I'm like, sweet. Mm. So I'd drink there, I'd come down, you know, chit-chat. And I used to work for a major call center around the area, and I had my fill, oh, yeah. and I yep. quit. Just yep. straight up like, I'm not coming in today. When are you coming in? Not ever again. <laughs> I did. I think if, knowing you, knowing what I know about this area and call centers, I think I did the same thing at the same call center. Quite possibly, yeah. I think it happens a lot <laughs> yeah. with jobs like that. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be a certain yeah. type of human yeah. to take that abuse. <laughs> and then you just give it. You're like, no, 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 I can't do it yet. Uh, so I'd go down Nail Creek. I was unemployed. I'd saved a bunch of money, but eventually it started getting tough. And Talgo, me and him got to yeah. know each other. And he's like, listen, I need a bar back. Yeah. And at the time, I was so nonsense. I'm like, what's a bar back? Yeah. Like, oh, you're going to, like, you know, stock ice, you know, clean the bathrooms, get beer. I'm like, okay. And it was uh, probably the second music fest in Utica, I want to say. Oh, uh, like you do music, you do, yeah. you do music, music and arts? Yeah. yeah. So he's like, yeah, I need something. I'm like, all right. So I did it. And... I'd like to think because my military training was just like, do stuff. You know, I didn't talk to anyone. Just right. Did my job. Sure. Like, sure. Have you done this before? <laughs> no. I'm getting ice. I'm cleaning the bathroom. You tell me what to do. <laughs> like the bar terminator. Yeah. <laughs> I walk around. I pick up beer glasses. I wash them. What's going on here? They're like, oh, well, this is really great. I'm like, all right. So I do that, and I lived up the street so they could kind of call me down. If it got busy, they would throw me on. If not. You know, give me a beer, I'll shoot some darts, have a good night. So that worked out for a couple months, and, you know, eventually they're like, do you want to bartend? I was like, sure. Yeah, yeah. just like that. Yeah. As uh, <laughs> a shout-out to my friend Ruby. Ruby's a really stellar hmm. lady. She got into bartending, and in the back of my head, I said, well, if she can do it, I can do it. Hmm. <laughs> well, uh, I'll say, you know, nail Nail's an interesting spot for people who grew up yeah. in Utica and are familiar with the scene. When I was... I'm trying to think. I'm trying to. I don't know. Want to like date myself, but uh, Nail Creek opened 2009. I want to say. What, what? I don't remember what. 2000. Well, I'm. I'm, I'm thinking I'm wrong now. I think I'm way off. No, no. You're about 2008, yeah. 2008-ish. I want to say. Uh, maybe seven, maybe nine, but 2008. I left. Eight. I left for New York City not too long after yeah. that. Like so, a lot of what the Varick Street I remember growing up with was basically the Electric Company. To the Varick. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, there yeah. was... And, and Nail was... Nail was an interesting bar to, oh, yeah. to, to exist at the time. And and Chris Talgo is the white whale of this show. I've been begging him to come on for 73 episodes. <laughs> I pinned him down at a wedding not too recently ago. I got his card. He said, yeah, I'll do it. And I haven't seen him in two months. So I'm like, all right, well, fine. Well, Nail Creek was the first craft brew bar. I mean, if you told people in Utica, I'm going to charge $5 a beer, no one would no. have believed it eight years ago. They'd no. been like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, but it worked out. So what was it like for you? So you were there in pretty early then. Pretty yeah. Early. Yeah. What was it? So you got to probably kind of watch 
the place get more popular as time went on. Right? I guess, yeah. I mean, I was working, but I, I had I had great role models. I had Julia Galimi, oh, one of my Julia favorites. Cooper now, yeah. Brian Washburn, Dan Walter. I had three stellar bartenders mm-hmm. that I got to just hang around, yeah. and they did their thing, and I just tried to pick up on it. Um, Saranac Thursdays were always a hit there, you know. Mm. We'd just be like three deep, but as people said, we'd dance, you know. Yeah. We'd just go around each other. Well, actually, that's after I started bartending, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. How did um, how did the transition go from Nail to Taylor? That was a bit rocky in cocktail terms, which is I had done well in Nail Creek. Chris and Tracy owned that. Tim and Melissa had seen yeah. me bartend. They liked my style. They wanted to pull me over. So it was a gimme job. Like, here you go. I was like, okay, what do I do? Order alcohol. Okay, how do I do that? They're like, you call somebody and tell them you order out. Al- you need yeah. alcohol. I was yeah. like, really? That's it? They're like, yeah. So you know, I had to get used to that. But then we had cocktails. We had Manhattans and martinis, and hmm. you know, uh, Manhattans at Nail Creek don't come up. <laughs> no, no. And that's and that was the point I was gonna make. You know, it, I, I love Nail Creek. It's one of my favorite bars in the whole city. But I don't go to Nail Creek to get anything besides yeah. craft beer. It's not, and I'm like a Scotch guy. I'm a I'm a wine guy. But like, if I go to Nail, that's what I'm getting is yeah. beer. I can't imagine you get very many orders for cocktails. Well, or we used to do kind of like quick shots or little mixers. You know, sure. kind of play sure. around, and somehow that built into mm. me getting this job at Taylor and the Cook, where you know I remember adding was it maraschino cherry juice to a Manhattan. One of my coworkers, Megan Riley, great woman, went yeah. to school with her, was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> this is how they taught me. Uh, <laughs> so did you end up going in for like bar training at some point in time or did you go to like... Yes and no. I, I Primarily no, which is beer, I learned about drinking it. Beer, I learned about right. reading about it. Uh, if you ever get the chance, there's a gentleman, Michael Jackson, mm. uh, great literature when it comes to alcohol, writes great beer books. Um, from there, worked at Taylor and the Cook, kind of cut my teeth a little bit, and we called in this wonderful lady, Catherine Dunn. Mm. Uh, Catherine showed up with a, was it, I don't want to say 12, but uh, what's it, the Rockers? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the like the Rockers, uh, I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I can't yeah the think fiber of stuff that yeah, yeah. weaves together. She showed up with a suitcase made out of that. That she had a mixer, juicer, zester, stirring concoctions, bitters. It was like the Mary Poppins suitcase of bar. Right, okay, all right, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she showed up with that, and she told me a bunch of stuff, and she taught me so well. It was only two days, but took that, and then I started reading books. You go on the internet, and I mean, people get upset about, like, oh, you know, so Wikipedia lied about what cures cancer. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, if you go to Wikipedia about cocktails? yeah. It's right. <laughs> I have a weird moment with like my students about this. They're like, "You're not supposed to go to Wikipedia because all the information is wrong." I'm like, "Yes and no." <laughs> I'm like, "All the information on Wikipedia is sourced theoretically. Yes. You should be able to track sources yes. back." I wouldn't just take it verbatim. Exactly. You know what I mean? If you track the source back, <laughs> yeah. absolutely run yeah, with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, well, I think what's fascinating about it to me is not not too long ago, a couple days ago, we had a wine seminar, and uh-huh. I've known you for as long as I've known you. You seem very ingrained with the way the restaurant is going with the buying into like New York State wines mm-hmm. and I hate to use the word mixology because I feel like for some reason a lot of people think that's like <laughs> a dirty word is I don't know if that's true or not but you have an understanding of, of alcohol and beer and, and the restaurant in general has an understanding that is it's it's very fascinating and to think that you came to that very quickly is impressive to me like well it's all about research it's all about learning mm. uh, you know 
what you enjoy is very easy to ingest in yeah. part of your life. I mean, uh, if you want to say, you know, I came to alcohol, I mean, we got this interview going on. You got the body motions, you got the eye contact, yeah, yeah. you got the right distance. It just builds into you. You, know? mm-hmm. you just feel sure. it. Uh, tasting is always very interesting. Uh, you know, Tim Hardiman was describing saying the first thing that you say. Absolutely. Even if you think it's the most off-the-wall thing, you know, like, oh, it tastes like wood from a cider mill that was in Kentucky. Yeah. You still go with it. For some sure. reason, it's producing something, then you narrow it down. But, yeah, wine's, wine's cool. I mean... Let me ask you this. Now, you br- we brought up Tim a couple times. What's your, what was your relationship like with Tim? Tim's been on this show before. He's uh, he's quite the character. Love oh, Tim. yeah. <laughs> uh, did you know Tim at all before you started there? I met him a few times. Uh, part of the job of that bar backing that I mentioned earlier is that Melissa had mm-hmm. to leave because she was going to have Finn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was his wife, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I got to meet him a few times. I never really knew who he was, but... Apparently he knew me. So. <laughs> well, I think because the only reason I bring it up is one of the things I've I've talked about with Vince and Tim before is uh, the way the restaurant runs together is very impressive. It does seem like you guys are all on the same page mm-hmm. and always working toward the same goals, uh, and that and that seems to to make a lot of the difference, at least from an insider's perspective yeah, on well, my end. You know what I mean? So I've seen I've seen a lot of poorly run restaurants. It's not the first <laughs> restaurant I've ever worked in. You know what I mean? Like. I, you see the difference between restaurants that are not running mm-hmm. at max capacity and restaurants that are just existing. True. You know but what I mean? It's all about being open. It's all about making changes, about seeing changes mm. when they need to happen or want to happen. And it's all about having a positive environment as well. I mean, you know, Tim's a kooky dude, but he wants what's best. You know? He does. Um, and he has a vision. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Mm. There's a way to do that, and I just kind of tag along and go, all right. <laughs> um... I want to ask you, I did some a little bit of research on you, in, uh, as I mentioned. One of the things I noticed is it talks a lot in your Taylor and the Cook profile about eating raw shark, and oh, I want to know God. if you want to share this story <laughs> with people. <laughs> no, this is a great story. Uh, so at Parkins, uh, back to a lot of what we talked to, which is, so I lived in Iceland, and in the year 1999, all right, back then, nice. uh, I was in the Army, and I was in Egypt, <laughs> it just keeps getting better from here so we're in egypt for a couple weeks and they said all right here's the deal we're gonna fly back to the united states we got two planes one's going directly to savannah georgia the other one's going to iceland Mm. put me on the ice hand iceland raise a hand up boom no like really i'm like cool beans now back then i was okay so i was 19 years old Mm. debit cards were still coming out i didn't have a credit card so i had no money I'd been in Egypt for three weeks, getting direct deposit, and had no access to money. So we fly to Iceland. So I get to Iceland, where I've grown up. I get to see the military base. Fun. We're flying in, enclosed plane. Hey, Joe, what's it going to be like? I'm like, ah, it'll be raining. I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah. Flown into Iceland about five, six times. It's been raining every time. Well, we'll see what happens. All right. Get out. It's raining. Yep. Of course. Of course. <laughs> As so it I, does. Yeah. So I bebop around this military base that's closing down. You know, it's kind of mm. depressing in my mild manners. And I go to the bat, uh, not basketball, was it? The bowling alley. There we go. So I have to get hold of my brother, who still lives in Iceland. So I call the United States. Hey, Ma. Hey, Dad. Hey, Joey, what are you doing? I'm in Iceland. You're where? I'm in Iceland. Get a hold of my brother. Okay. So they make the, the call to Iceland, get a hold of my brother, whatever he's doing. He makes a collect call back. My parents make the collect call to me. 
Joseph Early, boom, your brother's gonna meet you at the gate. Cool. Get in a taxi cab and we go off into Iceland. And it's weird. Like, Iceland now, I haven't been back there since 2000. Mm -hmm. To my understanding, is almost a tourist trap. It's a great place to go. There are many things to see. But when I was up there, nobody wanted to go to really? Iceland. Oh, huh. nobody wanted huh. to go to Iceland. <laughs> it was this weird rock in the Atlantic Ocean that was cold and windy. <laughs> nobody went to Iceland. But now you got hot springs, you got trails, uh, you got volcanic activity, mm. and it's very all cool and chic, and I yeah. love it. But, like, when I was up there, they didn't have a McDonald's. Right, right. So when I went up there 13 years later, 12 years later with my brother, he's like, oh, they have a McDonald's. I'm like, we have McDonald's? He's like, no, no, no. It's the same thing like McDonald's, except you have to put in an arm and maybe a leg, and then they'll give you your burger. <laughs> <laughs> it really goes, yeah. It's, like, just very kitschy. So, anyways, go up there with Iceland. It was great. I got to see my brother. got to see my grandfather. I got to take my pal Rhodes, who was uh, one of my battle buddies in the Rangers, and we're mm. just, like, bebopping around. And we go to the flea market in Iceland, which is very cool. You know, yeah. it's a flea market. Love the flea market. good, you know, food, yeah. whatever. And my brother, of course, does the older thing, or the older brother trick of, here, eat this. And yeah. a little, you know, plastic container that normally holds soy sauce. I'm like, what is it? He's like, put hair on your chest. <laughs> okay. So being the little brother that I am, bite into it. And it was like biting into a burnt skunk. A skunk oh. that had been set on fire and you just chawed into it. Just Now, since then, my taste buds have evolved. You know, I understand mushrooms and cheeses and funky goodness now. But at the time, I bit into a burnt skunk. Oh, oh my God. So that was the time I ate raw shark. In oh. Iceland. <laughs> I didn't even know. I don't know if shark is like the kind of thing that if you, if you cooked it, I'd still be like, all right, I don't know if I. Well, it's shark, you know. I'll I, try it out. <laughs> I trust. I don't know if I trust eating something that could theoretically also eat me back. Yeah. I, I, I just, <laughs> uh, Joe, I do want to thank you for coming on. And uh, before we get into the lightning round question, um, you know, you're you're at Taylor and the Cook all the time. Uh, what would you say? Uh, when you go to bar, you know, well, let me, let me rephrase this. Let me rephrase this. Um, you make drinks for people all day long. Yeah. Uh, I ask this to chefs all the time. I ask it to waiters all the time. When you get out of work, what do you order as a drink when you go to your bars? All right. So I typically order a Utica Club and a Shadji Jameson. Very smart. That's a that's a that's a top level maneuver. That's like a <laughs> like, I'm glad it's really we're... what I'm looking for, but if I got a bartender with skill, I'll say make me something. You know. Yes. Yeah. Whatever you want. Very interesting. I'm, 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 I'm glad that you went with like that's like a professional maneuver. Like that's like I'm, I'm here for a reason. I know what I'm here to do, and I'm just I'm I like that. Uh, Joe, let's get into the lightning round questions. Right. These are the six questions that we have asked everybody on the show for the last thirty some odd episodes. We will start with number one. Joe Early, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Uh, cream and sugar. Cream and sugar. Oh yeah. No black coffee for you. Nope. <laughs> We've been. We've I do use a French press. Come on. Okay. See now that's 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 very. Uh, what's the word? Um, opulent. That's oh, a opulent. Word. Yeah. Where's that know. Scrabble board at? <laughs> well, that's one of our big keywords in the show here. Uh, and I love the French press. I just never have time in the morning to make it. Oh, come on, it takes four minutes. <laughs> I never have four minutes in the morning when I'm going to work. Um, so number two, what was your first automobile? '89 uh, Thunderbird. 89 Thunderbird. Oh, God, oh I love man. that card. Shelly. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. I got a guy I got to call about that afterwards. Um, so, uh, you may or may not have taken this automobile there, but where did you go to see your first concert? Uh, 
Well, first concert, I would have to probably go with K-Rockathon, which was not that vehicle. K-Rockathon 2, mm-hmm. I want to say. Uh, but the best show I ever went to was No Automobile, and that was Fugazi oh, in Savannah, Georgia. Man. Yeah, that, that was a show. I mean, concerts are great. Yeah, yeah. Savannah, uh, first show was Fugazi. Mm-hmm. Now, I gotta. Uh, there are more questions, but I do want to bring this up. You have a very eclectic taste in music. Uh, I don't know if, if anyone... <laughs> do you pick all the music at Taylor? No, that's actually all Tim. Well, well when, we, when we open the restaurant, that's all mm-hmm. Tim. Everything mm-hmm. that comes in beforehand yeah. <laughs> is us mess- monkeying around at the bar. Uh, but you do... Whatever we're off, uh, yeah, off well, yeah. the hours, <laughs> that's all you, though, yeah. right? Yeah. You do have a very eclectic taste in music, which um, I don't know if it surprised me uh, so much as I related to a lot of it, because a lot of it is stuff I sort of yeah. have your leanings with as well, so that made me happy. I'm so I'm glad you said that. I just want to let you know. Uh, but Fugazi's a big one. Like that's yeah. like I'm trying to think of what era. Like, do you remember what year that was? I'm just curious. That, that would have been '99. '99. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Trying to think of what album. I was a big. Uh, what's the one? Uh, Last Day on the Kill Taker. What the hell's the name? The album's got the Washington Monument on the oh, front. Oh uh, um, Jesus! I used to have it hanging in my living room. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll think of it. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm a big fan. All right, so uh, let's move on to the next question. Uh, give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Oh, come on. That's not fair. I'm doing all three. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to read a book on Winston Churchill. Ooh, all right. It's tough. I, I've yeah. given up on it before. I'm getting there again. <laughs> I've been there, man. I've done that one before. Uh, what is it? Uh, Orange is the New Black. Been trying nice. to get into that. Mm. Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. I watched a comic book uh, TV series, Luke Cage, but I got partway through it, so I'm going back to Jessica Jones. I'm going to get back into it. Did you finish Jessica Jones? Yes. I, I really enjoyed that oh, a lot, yeah. actually. Yeah. I was a big fan of that yeah. one. I didn't do Daredevil yet. I tried it out. Is it, did you like it? It's violent. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, this is our newest question. We've only premiered this one a few episodes ago, so I'm very intrigued. Uh, uh, picture yourself as a professional athlete on the way out to the, say, home plate, or as a professional wrestler on the way out to the ring. What song is playing on your way out? On my way out? Yeah, so what's your theme song? Oh, Another One Bites the Dust. Another One Bites the Dust. <laughs> Seems like it would work. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Besides music, uh, besides bartending, uh, besides knowledge, besides nature, besides all these things we've already talked about, Joe, give us one more thing that you are passionate about. Mecca like a high, mecca hiney ho. <laughs> really, that's what I'm going to roll with. I like it. Uh, fair with it. Uh, Joe, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show, well, sir. Same. Thank you so much for everything. Yeah. Uh, and I will see you probably next week. I would all right, yeah, all right. <laughs> Thanks for the drink, brother. I really appreciate it. Salute. And we're back to the show in just a moment. Technical errors at all on that. <laughs> Another one bites the dust. 
by Queen. That, of course, was picked by Joe Early. Thank you again to Joe Early. Uh, you can go see him at Taylor and the Cook. He will mix you up a fancy, fancy cocktail. I got to say, it's good there. you know, he... I, I tried to I tried to say it early on in the interview with him, like <laughs> early on. Early on, uh, ah, pun not intended. Um, I, I said it to him, you know, like he bartends in a. There, there's a difference between like I bartended in a college bar in Nyack when I was like in in college in New York, and it's like there's not much work involved, right? It's like pour me a shot, here's a beer, and then there's what Joe does, mm-hmm. right? Joe creates cocktails and drinks, and yeah, it's cool stuff. And it's funny because I hated using the word mixologist with him. Like I even said it. I don't know. Mixologist is terrible. It's a dirty word, right? You can't say that. But like he, he has that kind of skill. It's really impressive. And this is how I knew uh, when he comes over to do the interview. He sits. I say. I always offer people a drink when they come over. So you want a beer or soda or water, coffee, whatever. The four things we generally have in the house. Um, And he said, "No, just give me two glasses with ice." And I said, oh, 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 shit, all right, okay. So I come back out, and he has a little tiny mason jar with a with a Manhattan that he made at the house with him, and he poured us out two Manhattans, and it was delicious. That's a good man. I don't even drink Manhattans I that love much. Manhattans. That's like, you know, my th- I would love to, like, be mixing up drinks and cocktails like that all the time, but I don't have the time to keep, like, a home bar stocked. Uh-uh. Like, I don't uh, have, I don't like, bitters and, like, fresh, like, lemon zest and all that shit around the house all the time. <laughs> um, guys, what do you? what's your boot? Give me your top three booze of choice. Oh, no wine, no beer. We're only talking spirits here. <laughs> so, like, rank your your like for me. Certainly, scotch will always continue to be scotch, bourbon, Irish whiskey. <laughs> Sc- yeah, scotch, whiskey, uh, bourbon, right? But if we're talking like let's let's assume that whiskey and scotch are all one category, right? You'd be assuming wrong. I'd be assuming wrong. I'm not like a big vodka person. I'm no, the only, me either. That's the only thing I can drink. That's the only one. No, you that's know what the only one I can drink without getting sick. I drank too much vodka when I was young, and now vodka makes me sick. If I have like just one vodka drink over the course of a night of like being out, I'll pay for it the next morning. I'll still oh, have yeah. a headache. I'll still be drunk. Mm. Nothing else gets me quite like vodka does, and vodka also pushes me over the line. Like that's if you heard I did some like ignorant shit that was out of character, I probably had vodka the night before. Anything dark, I can't touch. Now that is an interesting perspective because I have this weird, this weird thought that whatever kind of booze you get drunk on is a different kind of drunk. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, when I, if you... See, the science says no, but the anecdotal evidence... No, the anecdotal proves... Yeah. Yeah. Because I'll tell you what, when I drink, uh, like, gin, I'm drinking, like, a gin and tonic, I feel suave as shit. Yeah. Like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling particularly (laughs) suave. I'm like, damn, son, I could basically be a secret agent right now. Like, I feel like, if I'm drinking whiskey or scotch, I basically just think I'm Ernest Hemingway. I'm just like, all these people don't understand the... (laughs) common <laughs> problems of life. Only I can put it into words and put it on podcast form thanks to this whiskey. Uh, tequila just means I'll end up doing something really regrettable. Tequila means I had a really yeah, fucked te- up month. That doesn't <laughs> happen. The whole month was shit. I don't like just tequila, but I will. I have been known to get down on some margaritas, especially in the oh, summertime. I do love a margarita. All right. I do love a margarita. Margaritas in the winter. I'll give well, you yeah, f- true, but like I said, I don't, I don't tend to be like, ooh, I could really use a margarita in the winter, but in the summertime, <laughs> sometimes it's just hot, and you're like, that's eh, 3 p.m., we're going to start drinking right now. Like, this is about time. Man, that sounds good right now. See, I made the mistake... Okay, so I, do you remember, do you know who Michael Imperioli is? Should I? Michael Imperioli was. No, you you know what? No, 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 you shouldn't. Michael Imperioli was an actor. He played Christopher on The Sopranos. That's pretty much the thing he was most famous. I didn't watch 
anything that has to do with The Sopranos. You should. It's you should. Great. It's great. He's the rat face guy. He's the younger rat face okay. guy. He's I got can, a rat face. Yeah, that. he's a little skeevy rat face like guy. Okay. And uh, he did these commercials for 1,800 tequila. Worst tequila I ever had, by the way. Terrible. It is really, really bad. Really, really bad tequila. But me and, me and my, my very good friend Dano, shout out to Dano, follow McFamo and Wookiee on Twitter. Uh, for his birthday, I bought him two bottles of 1,800 tequila because we thought these were the funniest damn commercials we ever saw. <laughs> we just thought they were hilarious. We're like, oh, Imperial, he's swilling tequila. Look at oh, and we bought, so we bought, I bought two small 1800 tequila bottles one for him one for me on his birthday okay literally 17 minutes later i was throwing up oh like it was bad, man it's just the word you can't even drink more than one That's why Jaeger. what's I the no, point it's terrible it's way too much cactus flavor here's here's a general rule of <laughs> a rule of thumb when it comes to i mean you know with anything really use caution but with liquor specifically if you see commercials on TV for liquor, that is not good liquor. <laughs> like, I know you go out, a lot of people are like, oh, we're getting a bottle of Patron. Patron is trash tequila for idiots. Hey. Same, it is, though. Like, you oh, go out, so like, wrong. just anything. But, like, all of it, like, if I see a commercial, I'm immediately skeptical. With the exception of, like, I mean, I enjoy Jameson because it's the thing that got me into whiskey. But that's still, I can think of like nine Irish whiskeys that are better. You guys probably won't hear the interview. Uh, when I asked Joe, uh, when you leave the bar, what do you get when you go out to the bar? He gave me the best answer I've ever heard. He said, you did a club shot at Jameson. I said, that's a professional oh, maneuver. That's, that that is, that's, sense, but that's the Nail Creek special right that, yeah. there. That's yeah. the, a UC and a shot of Jameson is the, yeah, like the no. welcome to Nail yeah. Creek. I'll take the UC. The, a shot of, I gotta say, and I'm not a huge drinker. I really am not. I've never have been. But a shot of brown liquor and a Utica club is pretty much one of my favorite things in existence. The last, time, the last and only time I took a shot of Jameson, I was dancing with Rainbow like we had been friends oh, Utica for Legend Rainbow. years in, in, where was it, in Lucan's. And I woke up the next morning to the happiest video and selfie video of me in Rainbow. Having the time of our lives the next day, it did not feel like I had the time of my life. Well, I think a lot of that it comes insane. down to, too, you can, like, shots have got to go. Yes, the bad decision. Shots, like, I, I was saying this, I'll never turn, I will rarely, rarely turn down a shot if somebody buys one for me because I think it's rude, but I'm never ordering shots. Every once in a while, I'll grab a shot of Jameson, like, to get a, like, when I was saying, like I said, when I walk in the nail, I'll order a UC and, like, give me a shot of Jameson to start. But, like, doing your alcohol in shots, I'll never forget when I first started drinking Jameson, I was taking it in shots. And I ran into my uncle out at the bar one night. My uncle was well on his way. He'd been at a golf outing all day. And I always knew that my uncle drink, you know, drank Jameson. He would always talk about it. He'd have it at, like, family parties and stuff. And he saw me get it in a shot glass, and he was like, what are you doing? He's, like, slurring. Like, he had, been, he had been way out there. Yeah. It was like 11 o'clock at Sickenberger. He'd been golfing since noon. He's like, that's disrespecting the liquor. You put it in the glass with some yeah. ice cubes, and you sip it like a man. Yeah. And ever since that day, I'm like, geez, no. uncle no. who shall not be named, I'm like, I guess... I guess I will, and no. I moved on to no. it. See, I don't know. Jim Gaffigan says the shots are the quickest way to get to the like, most Jim humiliating Gaffigan time. Jim Gaffigan is the worst. <laughs> we, we, we Jim, hate Jim Gaffigan, Gaffigan on this is the show. worst. Wait, what? He's not uh, funny, is the problem. You didn't even let me like finish, though. Like, this is like, when was the last time you listened to Jim Gaffigan? Like, you don't even like his Hot Pocket? Shit, like that was funny. Can I tell you? I'll t can I tell you why? I'll tell you the reason why. Because it's the worst. I'm because like, genuinely, uh, we don't have cable here at the house, so we watch a lot of TV streaming, 
Uh, and if you notice this, if you're a person like us, if you stream a lot of TV on the internet, you'll notice that when there's commercials, it's the same commercial over and over again. Okay. They repeat the same commercial. Oh, are you saying we, he's a repeat offender? We had to watch a Jim Gaffigan commercial for Chrysler Pacifica 137 times over like three weekends when we were watching, I forget, was it Simpsons? We were on like a big Simpsons binge. Whoa. And because of it, I am now jaded at him forever. I hate his face. He's very punchable. Wait. Highly, highly so punchable. So you hate him because you watched the same commercial with him in it over and over again. That's how so I roll. Listen, you listen. Hate him. Don't that you wrong. Don't you you people me. That's what Sam you, said over here, okay? You <laughs> That's people. what Sam said. I don't like him because I don't think he's that funny. I think he's overrated. He's not that good. A lot of his jokes are well, obvious. Ooh, ooh, I don't like his whoa, delivery. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's okay, up? Okay, all right. Mm. That was aggressive. Contentious. We're getting yeah. a lot of contentiousness here oh, today. Come on, man. You guys ready to bring? Let's let's bring it back together. Kevin let's bring and I it together. Are fight. <laughs> uh, let's not fight. Real let's quick. Start let's real quick. Well, how about I do something that will galvanize you two to center your hate towards me? How's that work? Done. We can do that. I'm already in. All right. Excellent. <laughs> Wonderful. It's that. No, it's that time. <laughs> it's that time once again for this week's edition of Yesterday's History Today. Hey, hey. And today on November fourteenth, eighteen. 51, 165 years ago, Herman Melville's Moby Dick was published by Harper and Brothers Publishing in New York City. Although now it is considered a great American classic, initially it was a flop. Huge flop. Nobody read it. Uh, after Moby Dick's disappointing reception, Melville continued to produce novels, short stories, and poetry, but writing wasn't paying the bills, so in 1865, he returned to New York and worked as a customs inspector, a job he held for 20 years before he passed away. Uh, it wasn't until the 1920s that scholars rediscovered his work, particularly Moby Dick, and eventually became a staple of high school reading lists across the United States. Mm. Uh, so there you go. Moby Dick. I skipped that one. Moby Dick? I never read Moby Dick. Yeah, that I, I did. Moby Dick is tough. You can't really give Moby Dick to high school kids, especially in today's yeah. day and age. You need to send them out with, like, primer notes or, like, mm. no, it needs to be a little more of a guided reading because it's very, very thick and dense, and mm. the yeah. themes are going to be lost if you're trying to dig your way through that specific style of language that he writes in yeah. that book. Um, so this got me very fascinated when I read this history story today. So I did some additional research, very rare. I did some additional history research on this, and I found oh, seven. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I found seven other great American classics that were initially considered flops Let's at the time of their see release. See if I read any of these. Yeah, see if you read any of it. Number seven. Lord of the Flies by William Goulding. It's one of my favorite books. Yeah. It was panned at the time for being excessively violent with unnecessary language. Good. I could see that being a lot for the people Good. at the time. Soak it in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number six, Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman. Poetry novel, uh, or poetry book. Uh, the direct quote for it was, uh, it's not a discredit to Walt Whitman for writing it, only that he didn't burn it afterwards. Damn. Snarky. Ooh, ouch. Burn. <laughs> shade before we had the concept of shade. <laughs> Ah, okay. um, number five, uh, Wuthering Heights by Emily Bront. Oh, um, I like that book. Yeah? Oh, I, I do enjoy that you book. You didn't like it? Uh, at the time, it was told that it was too forward and confusing. See, I can, I can take on that confusing one. We're not mm. vibing today. It's okay. Uh, number four, On the Road, Jack Kerouac, considered a flop at the time. Drastically overrated. Ooh. 
Ooh, I never read it all the way through. Every single like nineteen year old kid who thinks they just found their edge. That was a movie, right? They may have made. I don't. It, yeah, they did make that a movie would be a about tough it. book yeah. to turn into a movie, I think I saw but the movie. it's look. It's not that it's not good, but I think that a lot of people like it. It's one of those books where a lot of people like it because they think they're supposed to like it mm-hmm. without actually enjoying it. Right. It's good, but it's not mm. the it's best. Uh, at the time, it was it was quoted as being not so much a novel, but more lark inspired by the Beat Generation. So I guess that's a criticism, right. like a real subtle one. Okay. Uh, number three, my favorite novel of all time, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Huge flop when it first came out. Heavy-handed propaganda, they called it. Although I think that's pretty fair. Although well, I think it's also, but go, go, go read Brave New World and then look around today and tell me that he didn't have something going on. If you haven't read Brave New World, and I, I say this every time we bring it up, it's the best. It's so good. Have you not read it? No, I haven't read it. I'll give you a copy. It's All so right. good. It's worth it. It's even post high school. It's a great read. I really? love. I, I've read it many I times. I actually, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. I remember when you gave it to me because you liked it a lot. I've all you've always held it up as a novel you love, and I've read it and I liked it, but I didn't love it as much as I wanted to. See, I like it more and more every time I read it. That's fair. I've kind of gotten. I, we got to read it again. I've only read yeah. it like twice, I think. So. Yeah, I dig it. Uh, number two, Huckleberry Finn, Mark Twain. Uh, at the time, they said. No better in tone than a dime store novel. I've never read Huckleberry Finn. I haven't either. I have read Huckleberry Finn. Um, you feel like it's better than a dime store novel? Uh, if you show me the nearest dime store uh, that I can purchase <laughs> books at, then I'll let you know. <laughs> and the number one uh, great American classic that was initially considered a flop. I don't know if it's American, I guess. J.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings series. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. Uh, at the it. time, oh. at Get the time, it, it was oh. called Shallow with no literary merit. That's fair. I'm just going to leave it right there. That's fair. Come at me, haters. I'm I don't biased. Give a, I don't I'm give biased. A, I'm oh, I can't say any of it. The Rings, The Hobbits, none of them. Yeah, you well, even like the movies? No. I've never seen most no. of them. I don't, it's just, I have a really tough time with fantasy, like elves and warlocks yep. and wizards yep. and all that. Like, yep. it's not really... Mm. Uh, you can take you can take the Lord of the Rings squad, you can take the Harry Potter fellas, you can shove them all off on their own island. Mm. Whoa, whoa. You know, you can take Star Wars with them and you go get whoa. them all out of shout here. Out, shout out! <laughs> shout out to my good buddy whoa. Adam Goldstein. <laughs> uh, my friend Adam Goldstein defined this term to me uh, for stuff like Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, um, like Lord of the Rings. Hard fantasy. Or like... I'm not really into hard fantasy. I have a hard time with, like, dragons and magic and, uh... I love magic. I'm into Doctor Strange. You do like magic. I love magic You're into David so Blaine. Much. That's different. I love David Blaine. You're into street magic. You're not into, like... I do. If Gandalf showed up, you wouldn't be jazzed for him to uh, do a card trick for you, would you? Yes, I would. Oh, God. I'd be even better if it was Legolas. <laughs> I, don't, I wish I knew more about what that meant. I, I think I know what you're talking your about. Female voice that you um, wanted so bad. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one Lord of the Rings story. And this is my. I've told the story before. Jesus. Maybe it's very quick. I was going to the movies with a friend of mine to go see a movie that was coming out called Catch Me If You Can. Remember that movie? Right. Mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom yeah, Hanks. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So we go to the theater at the at the Sanger Town Square Mall, mm-hmm. and I get there, and there's a bunch of my friends already in line. For a movie, and me and Brendan show up, and we say, "Hey, what are you guys doing here?" They say, "Oh, we're going to see a movie. We're going to see Lord of the Rings, uh, two, like Lord of the Rings of Two Towers." And we're like, "Oh, cool. We're going to see um, Catch Me If You Can." They're like, "No, nah, I don't go see that dumb movie. Come on, come see Lord of the Rings." We're like, "I, I don't know, man. I don't really." God, was it that long ago? Yeah, yeah. And she's like, "He's like, no, no, just come on, come on, just come see the movie, come see the movie." So after a couple minutes, they convince us because it's like a bunch of my friends. We're like, "All right, let's go." Peer yeah, pressure. Right. Peer pressure. Peer let's pressure. Let's go see the movie. Yeah. So we're walking into the theater, and I get my popcorn, I get my cola. And I'm sitting there, and my buddy Ed 
God love him, Eddie Carlo, great person. He's sitting next to me, and he is gassing me up. He's like, ah, oh, I can't wait. I've been so excited for this movie, and I can't wait to see it. And then he just goes, oh, wait, did you see the first one? Oh, my God. And I go, no. No. And he goes, oh, you're not going to know anything that's going on. No, and I was like, no. son of a bitch. Why am I? <laughs> Damn it. So I sat there for 25 minutes in the theater, and I'm watching. I'm like, who's that? He's like, shh. I'm like, who's that? Shh. Who's that? Shh. I'm leaving. And oh, I just got up, and I left. Yeah, so that's okay. That's kind of why I don't I don't fox with Lord of the Rings no, at all. No. That's fair. That plus it being the worst. Um, Dude. <laughs> I've been, I have been on, I have been on, on my horse about hating Lord of the Rings since it came out. I remember back in high school, I didn't like it. Just it doesn't appeal. I read so The then, Hobbit in high school. Okay, that's yeah. fine. That's fine. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm really glad I have your approval. <gasps> Seriously, I'm super glad. Very contentious. See, this is what happens. <laughs> oh my God. See, this is Trump's Very... America. People, I'm nobody gets along. Yeah, this so is this is the attacked right now. Oh, this yeah. is the Trump I'm effect. Right. This is the Trump <laughs> effect, guys. <laughs> it's all because of Trump. Bullying and fear are up fifty percent. Uh, I'm gonna wear my pen. Fifty percent. Fifty percent. Fifty <laughs> percent increase in uncivil political discourse, folks. That's what the because it was so civil before. Um, Mara, you said you're gonna wear your pin. Oh yeah, do you want to talk about your pins before we close up? I hate the safety pin thing. Mara's covered from head to toe in safety pins. No, right I'm not. Now. I hate it. I hate She's it. Safety pins in the shape of if David Blaine on her shirt. Kevin, let me say it. Okay, so. All right, everyone now is doing this whole safety pin movement, and I hate it. Because everyone's trying, okay, the whole thing is that you're supposed to wear your safety pins so that people who feel like they're not being heard or feel uncomfortable throughout this whole election process, they want you to know, hey, you're safe with me. Mm. Look at this little stupid piece of metal that I've attached to my blazer. Now, if you have to wear a safety pin to let people know that they should feel safe around you, you're doing something wrong. If mm. someone gets on the bus and you see that they look uncomfortable or they're standing because they can't sit anywhere because they feel too uncomfortable to sit next to somebody, just smile at them and tell them that they can sit next to you. Or just, I don't know, I think everyone in general should stop looking at movements and trying to be trendy and trying to find new reasons to put... Uh, take a picture of something and put it on Instagram and to make it about it. themselves. Stop making it about yourself. Just be nicer to people because clearly we're at a time right now where people are being real assholes and maybe we all need to just suck it up. Start being a little nicer than usual. Not just mm. be nice to every single person that walks by, but you know, be a little more aware of what's going on right now. Be okay. Nice to all of them. Say yeah. hello, say hi, and thank you to your bartenders, to your baristas, to the people you see on the bus, to the people you walk by and on the street. Don't be an asshole. That's what basically what I'm trying to say. Mm. Don't wear a pin, just don't be an asshole. Mm. Okay. And 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 rant. No mm. pins. Boom. Get rid of your pins. Start no smiling. Pins. No, I think that is a huge thing. So, and this is something that I hope doesn't happen. And not to swing it all back to what we talked about in the last segment, but people are in the streets and they're protesting and they're hashtagging and they're wearing safety pins. And if I've learned anything in the last eight or so years of, you know, being living in social media and digital culture and stuff like that, this all has the hallmarks of the type of thing that people are going to forget about. Mm -hmm. In three weeks, yeah, and yeah. I would really much rather see people like have a more measured response to get to work because this all looks like the type of thing where people are just looking for reason like, look at me, look at how good I am. Don't you see this pin hashtag? Uh, that's detrimental. It's I think. All about who's suffering more and about who's protesting more and about who's better than who. And it, everybody's it, it, look everybody's, at me, look how good I am. Is what ninety percent of the level. stuff you see is. You know what I mean? I We're all on the same freaking level. 
all of us are being mistreated. All of us are going the wrong way. Everyone just needs to stop what they're doing and remember that we're all the same person. You know what I mean? We all need to treat each other the right way and just throw out those stupid fucking things. I, I guess. Hmm. There you go. That's just how I feel about it. They'll keep them. They might be useful, but just don't wear them every day. Just don't wear them so, every day. Just be nice. Mm-hmm. Safety pin challenge. Pin a, put a fill a bucket full of safety pins and then pour it over your head on a camera. Put all of your <laughs> pins in my mailbox. Just get rid of them. Jeez. <laughs> Follow. Just get Follow. <laughs> they're safety pins. They're safe. Hang on. They're, no, we're doing. You're not. You feel safe with me. You're not going out to shed. I need ninety seconds. Can Please. I have ninety seconds? Oh, uh, we talk quickly. <laughs> About Saturday Night Live earlier, and uh, Chappelle, yeah. what an amazing job he did. Everybody should go watch that. Everybody needs to see it. I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Also, what was very nice for me in a time where we live with a lot of terrible bad uh, news, yeah. 2016 has been a tough year. Yep. Also, not to be overlooked on Saturday Night Live was the return, the first time ever on Saturday Night Live, of A Tribe Called Quest. Ooh. A Tribe Called Quest has put out a new album. Uh, they got most of it done before Fife Dog passed away earlier this year, and it's amazing. The Apple Music description, I think, did a great job. They're like, it's not a comeback. It's not a wave. It's not a nostalgia thing. It's like a long conversation with an old friend that was dearly missed. I've been listening to the album nonstop for about a week now. It's the only thing I've listened to. It's amazing. You're probably not listening to enough Tribe. Even if you listen to a ton of Tribe, you're not listening to enough. And it's so cool. I was afraid they were going to put out an album that was going to be crap. And it was going to sound too modern. It wasn't going to sound like them. And it wasn't going to be anywhere near as good as Low End Theory and Midnight Marauders. I'm not ready to put it at that level yet, but I've had 20 years to digest those albums. Go listen to The New Tribe. Mm. Please. That's it. Go. Follow your own personal Midnight Marauder, Kevin Sullivan, on Twitter at underscore Kevin Sullivan. Or keep that low-end theory very low. Follow Mara on Twitter at Mara Olivia with two A's. Uh, you can follow me at SF Doom, but nobody does. Follow <laughs> Uticast, though, at Uticast. The love on... movement, Sam Fimelaro. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, love Trump's follows. So uh, follow the podcast at Uticast at Twitter. Uh, Uticast.com. Send us an email, Uticast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram. We occasionally post things on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Folks, just uh, just be nice to each other. Love just, one another. Uh, just go out of your way to do something Nice. For somebody. And I do truly believe, as I always believe, everything's gonna be okay. Yeah. Even if it's not okay, everything's gonna be okay. It's okay to be okay, folks. We'll see you next week. We won't see you. Don't forget. We can't. We can't. I can't see you. We'll hear you. We'll talk at you next week, folks.